Welcome to the Fire Inside Her podcast, a safe space for leadership, self-care, and community. I'm your host, Diane Schroeder, and it is my privilege to be your guide on the journey to authenticity. Many years ago, when I got into the fire service, I was really intimidated by the spouses and partners of the firefighters that I worked with. I can recall one time in particular, I was a brand new firefighter. I had answered the phone and the response on the end was, why are you there? And I said, I'm here because I work here. And the spouse of the firefighter was pretty rude and said, can I talk to so-and-so? So I was always a little intimidated by the partners of the men that I worked with. Fast forward 20 plus years, and I have made some of the best connections with the spouses and partners of the guys that I get to work with. And it's been really fun. I love connecting with them and getting to know them. And I think part of it is the more comfortable that I have become in my own skin and on my journey to authenticity that I'm able to really open up and make those connections. Last summer, I met the partner of one of the guys I work with, and it was a brief conversation at a community event. Fast forward a few months later, and she came by and gave me a book called Invisible Women, and it's Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Caroline Perez, and I will link the book in the show notes. And I thought, I don't really know her, but I want to get to know her because the book is incredible and really eye-opening and talks about how the world is really set up for men from all different perspectives, whether it's health outcomes that are affected by data that fails to address the female body specifically, everyday objects from pianos to smartphones are designed for men and the disadvantage that women are at because the data just doesn't account for the female experience. As I've gotten to know Sarah, I've also connected with her um, through parenthood. She's a single mom and not only does she work in a male dominated profession, but she's really blossomed into her authentic self and really relies on her community. And I'm just really excited to share this episode with you. Sarah definitely has a case of imposter syndrome, both in her new job and being asked to do this podcast with stories from such strong, accomplished and brave women. She is realizing that no matter where you are in your life or what journey you've been on, we all have so much in common, and it's important to share the good and the bad and realize that we are not alone. Sarah grew up in the UK, graduated from the University of Liverpool as an engineer, and went straight into a very much male-dominated career in engineering 20-something years ago. She's remained in the same industry after moving to the U.S. 15 years ago. Sarah sits on the board of a couple committees, including women's leadership and women in STEM, who are trying to sustain and grow the representation of women in her industry and encourage and mentor young engineers starting out in their careers. 
She's a single mom of two soccer and climbing crazy boys and a loopy dog. So juggling life is never dull. Sarah finds peace in being in the mountains, whether hiking or skiing, running with friends, getting your hands dirty in clay, and cooking with weird and wonderful ingredients. Fun fact, she has a certificate in entomopography, eating insects. I really enjoyed how vulnerable Sarah was about her journey in navigating being a single mom, mom guilt, because parents, we suffer from that, and exploring this next adventure that she's on in negotiating terms of her new job and also how she's really learning to focus on self-care and things that she does to take care of herself. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm so excited that we get to do this interview in person. Most of the time I do them over the interweb, so it's really nice to, to just talk in person and have more of a conversation. So I think the question I want to know is, do you hang anything from your rearview mirror in your car? <laughs> Not usually. No furry dice. <laughs> but uh, my friend actually gave me a air freshener at Christmas, which was all three dogs. So my dog and my partner's two dogs. And so that's what's there right now. But awesome. I have to take it down because it smells a lot. <laughs> it's overpowering. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Well, I'm so glad that we get to chat for part two because the first episode that we recorded a couple months ago, I didn't have the microphone on. So now we get to do it again and in person. And I know I'm a lot less nervous because I've done a couple more Uh (laughs) and we've had time to noodle over it. So let's just start by a little bit, share a little bit about your story. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a lot. (laughs) Well, so you are not a native to Colorado. Like, so what's your journey from where you grew up to how you got here to Colorado? So, yeah, I moved to Colorado almost eight years ago from San Francisco and Northfield, Minnesota. And San Francisco was with my ex's job. And when I told my job I was leaving, they said, well, do you want to work over there too for us and you can move into sales it's like oh I don't want to move to sales I was a process engineer but I did it and had a wonderful six years in San Francisco and both of my kids were born there as well and then moved to Minnesota with my now old job as of two months ago and to to be closer to the office there and realized after two years that it was a really tough life yeah talk more about that (laughs) part but there was a big change moving from you know a big city to a town of 20,000 people um, and commuting every day and the weather children and the weather was a huge factor and so yeah maybe I talk about that part now is is that after two years there the you know we got there my younger son was five months old it was the worst winter in 50 years oh my goodness they'd spent so much time outside in California and then they got strep and pink eye and (laughs) all that stuff climbing over each other at daycare and it was just rough really and then I was commuting to work like 40 minutes each way and their dad was working from home and so taking care of a lot of that stuff I was really very grateful for Mm -hmm. Um, but it was hard on me I had that guilt that yeah I should be doing that and 
not sure why, you know, but. I think it's ingrained in us from like generations, yeah. right? That we have to be the ones that take care of the kids and, yeah. you know, do the, what I call unpaid work yeah. or yeah. invisible work. Invisible work. work. And mm-hmm. I, I, listening to some of your other podcasts, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And in that book I gave you, it talked about, you know, 75% of unpaid work mm-hmm. in the world is done by women. Um, so I had that, that guilt. And then after two years, I just said, I can't do this. I wasn't feeling right in myself. And mm-hmm. um, but even after six months in Minnesota, I went to the doctor and, and said, you know, not feeling great. And he said, you think you're depressed? I was like, no, I just, he said, so you, <laughs> you've got a five month old, so you're probably not sleeping very well. And you moved from away from all your friends and you're living in this weather. And so give it another six months and then come back and see. And, and then still it wasn't good. So mm. I actually went to quit my job because I, I just thought that's what I needed to do and mm-hmm. kind of listen to myself. And I wasn't exercising either. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's what the doctor said to me. He said, do you exercise? And I said, I run. And he said, don't stop running. Mm-hmm. And that I've carried with me. And I know that when I don't, and I don't, you know, I do it way less now and I should do more. But I also know how my body feels if I don't do that. Right. It's and, it's that part of self care, and I yes. I mean I can't imagine. So it's two little ones, the commute, yeah. the weather, the all the things. Yeah. And how do you find time to take care of yourself? Right when you're already like feeling bad. And I hadn't got a connection with didn't, didn't feel like I connected with my younger son either. So I just thought my only option was to quit. And I was very fortunate to be in the position that I could consider that. Mm-hmm. And so I I went to my boss and. And he just looked at me when I walked into his office and he went, oh, no. And, and <laughs> I gave him a letter and he said, do you want to work part time? And I I never even thought that was an option right. in my job. Mm-hmm. You know? And I said, uh, I'm moving to Colorado. And he went, do you want to work part time in Colorado? Wow. And I moved to Colorado just because I picked it because uh, we did a poll of our friends and they said Seattle or Colorado. We're like, we don't want the rain. <laughs> we grew up in England. Let's move to Colorado. So we did. And I worked part-time for three years before going back into my old job. Okay. So that's wow. kind of that journey of how I came here. And I love it. And I guess the other important part, piece of that is you are an engineer. Mm-hmm. So how did you get, uh, as a person in a male-dominated profession to another you know, female in a male dominated profession. How did you, how did that journey of becoming an engineer? Uh, I actually went to study, wanted to study dentistry. Mm-hmm. I'll always remember my chemistry teacher saying, you don't want to do that. You're a people person. And I was like, yeah, well, you still see people just maybe one at a time and, you know, right. <laughs> talking about the same things. But so, and I didn't quite get my grades for dentistry. So I studied biomedical engineering and material science. And it was really great for me because I loved the sort of medical side. I got to do some of that, right. but also bring in the engineering side. And I always loved science at school. I wasn't as good at it as languages and stuff, but I, I enjoyed it more. So mm-hmm. before I did, I did a master's in lasers, laser engineering, which brought in some of the medical side too. It was to do with putting coatings on hips. Um, oh wow! To help the bone grow into hips, and when I finished that, there was a 
job advert, like I thought, maybe I'll take a year out. And there was a job advert at the university that said experience in sputtering, which is the process of my old job. And I'm glad I don't have to explain the whole process. Anymore, <laughs> I really that. But anyway, I got that job. And so and then state and then that's the industry I'm in 20 something years later. And I've been through, you know, so I started out as a process engineer. Um, when I moved to the States, I did move into sales, like in tech support. Mm-hmm. So I was doing tech support with the equipment there and then joined my old company prior to the one I'm in now. And they they were a competitor of the other company, but actually my old boss recommended me for the position, which was wow. really nice. Uh-huh. Um, was with them for 11 years and then took my new job that I now have for two months. <laughs> you took a leap. So I did. You took, I, I, and I guess, how is the experience of being a female engineer? How has that been helped or frustrated or what lessons have you learned? You know, yeah. did you even notice, I guess? So, I mean, I knew I was in a male-dominated profession. Mm-hmm. Duh, there wasn't a lot of women mm-hmm. around. And I still didn't, like... I was kind of oblivious to a lot of the subtleties of being in a male-dominated profession. I don't know if that – how was your experience? And I I think maybe part of it was – I think I've been very lucky in my career to have felt supported Mm -hmm. by male co-workers. There's been many male co-workers, you know, very few women. And and I do feel that I haven't had – any particularly horrible experiences unlike you know some people I've talked to my dad is a civil engineer and I used to go on the building site with him that was kind of just normal you know yeah I I, I was telling Kevin on the way here there were these uh um you know rude calendars right yep yep (laughs) it was normal Mm -hmm. you didn't think anything of it Mm -hmm. yeah no I my dad was a firefighter Uh and same thing I grew up in a firehouse yeah but I mean my dad had a subscription to Playboy magazine. So there was not like, it wasn't anything that I thought was weird. Yes. If there was anything inappropriate said or something like that, I didn't even, didn't yeah. even think anything of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so I just think, you know, I've just sort of floated through and just, well, actually there was one time I remember going into one company and I went in with one of our reps and the, I went to fix some equipment and the guy gave our rep the toolkit <laughs> and, uh, and he just went, oh, no, it's all her. Right. And, and he was great, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I think it's important to have those male yes, allies, allies that are yeah. just like, uh, no, she's the badass yeah. that knows how to work with lasers and, yeah. you know, all the engineering brain, which I'm envious of because I do not have a lick <laughs> I, of that in my <laughs> definitely more the creative type well I, uh, yeah uh, I was going to talk about the whole imposter syndrome you know but <laughs> in my my new job but but yeah in the going back to sort of the that experience and and what other women have experienced it too I joined a board a couple of years ago and they formed a women's leadership committee mm-hmm. and that was the first time I felt like I found my village right? yeah of all these women that I've met one or two and there's been a couple of us that have, you know, talked or hung out, but not as a big group. Mm-hmm. And we laughed and we cried and we shared war stories, mm-hmm. you know, good and bad. Right. And it was really comforting and to know that this group of people is is there and it has always been there. Well, right. Well and that you're not alone. Yeah. Do you did you experience always like 
positive, like here's this amazing group of women supporting each other? Or have you run into kind of more of a, sometimes a competition or I call it the mean girls, like, you know, instead of all boats rise, it's my boat's going to rise and I'm going to try to put a hole in yours. No. And I think I've really sort of been reading about that more recently too. And so far, everybody's been really supportive. And That's we, awesome. we made, I was talking to you about this, we made this guide. It's like, what can we do as a as a committee? You know, I was a charter member, so it's like we hadn't really, you know, it's like, what, what can we do for this community of women in STEM? And one was we decided that we were going to create a scholarship. So we, we gave our first one out last year. We give money to women who are in our industry to help pay off their student debt. Because student debt for women is typically, women in engineering is typically higher as well. And so we did that. We also created this guide and we're still not sure what to do with that yet. Mm-hmm. But everybody took a part and it was sort of anonymous, you know, who, which part you did. And we did on work-life balance, on culture, travel, interviewing, negotiating as, as a woman in STEM and how we've navigated these things and so we kind of wrote advice and war stories as well I love like so it's kind of like a guidebook of hey you want to get into STEM here's a manual or like a a life jacket of things to consider things to do which is really great and really empowering because you know what I'm hearing you say is like everyone has a different experience, right? This, the newer generation Mm -hmm. of women in STEM. And I I feel like it's just women in general and male dominated businesses industries have like this, you know, Hey, we went through this and we broke some doors for you and we're going to hold the door open and we're also going to help you on your journey. Whereas, you know, my experience was I went through this and you're going to have to go through it to earn your stripes. And I think that, you know, that, that just that simple mindset shift of, will help you supporting right we don't want you to go through that right so this is what you can do to avoid it right just it can only help (laughs) I love that so much and so when we talk about the negotiating piece of it how did that help you Uh in negotiating (laughs) you know your yeah new opportunity for your job yeah so I think you know, this opportunity came along, somebody reached out to me and said, do you want to talk to us? And it's like, oh, I'm pretty happy in my job, but I'll talk to you mm-hmm. and researched it a bit more. I knew this company already. I'd worked with them in my career for 20 years with their equipment. Mm-hmm. They were 10 minutes down the street, which was huge too. Yeah. And, and I just thought, oh, I'll go for it. And I talked to them and then I went through like three rounds of interviews. Like the last round was about seven hours of interviews. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, and I got an offer. My partner told me I should I should channel my inner white male. <laughs> right? The confidence of a mediocre white male. Yes. Um, and I should ask for more. And that more was was more money and it was also I felt like I wanted to have the same vacation because to keep that work-life balance and I was terrified to ask Mm -hmm. and it was very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. but I thought I have to do it because I have to do it for other women too yes and so I did and my manager called me and said well we got all that approved by HR Oh, <laughs> wow. Be careful wow. what you ask for. But what a, yes. what a great, a beautiful example of leadership. Yeah. I mean, that is yeah. 
stepping up, that's leading, that's not, it doesn't take away being nervous or scared. Yeah. It's doing it anyway. Yeah. It's just stepping out of your comfort zone and doing it. And mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't regret two months in, I don't regret my decision. And, and I, I do miss my old company. They were great. And they've all said to me, you know, you can come back whenever you want. So having mm-hmm. that is nice. Right. Um, I'm learning and I'm stretching and pushing and I needed to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, but I was worried because it was, it's in the office and I was working from home. Mm-hmm. So I've got two young boys, 10 yes. and 13, or almost 13. And so um, they're into soccer and climbing and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I just thought, how am I going to balance this out? But they are at the age, and I think this job came along at the right time, that they can come home from school they can be on their own for an hour or so. They have reading and homework until I get home, you know, and they're with me every other week. Mm-hmm. So it just, something fell into place. <laughs> I love it. It's hard to remember in the moment, but I believe that every opportunity or the universe gives you what you need when you need it. Yeah. You know, even, you know, not necessarily good or bad. It's mm-hmm. just the medicine that you need. Yeah. And, you know, you have the free will to make the decision to accept it or not. Either it may come back around or it won't. And being a single mom is tough. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And I know as a single mom for a long time, that invisible work again, that the sports, the, you know, managing schedules and everything, even half the time, you still have to make sure that that's going to work. And do you find that with your boys now that there's this level of trust that's kind of cool how it works in the relationship? Yeah, I think that they appreciate that you know I'm going out to work to keep a roof over their head and mm-hmm. and I mean that was also a big step for me thinking I have to go into a new job and and boy I have to keep my salary because I need to pay my mortgage and you mm-hmm. know all that responsibility and but it was also comforting to know that I've been in the industry a long time that I think it would be okay if it didn't work out you know right but yeah they seem to be proud of me now like they they were really happy to see me when I came home from work you know whereas they'd come back and I'd be at my office and like, hey. <laughs> okay. like, oh mommy's home and let me see your badge that's really cool and, you know oh, that's um, awesome. so it's yeah amazing boys I think they just maybe this going into the office has, has given them a better appreciation of the other things that I do and they seem to, you know, maybe not complain as much when they have to empty the dishwasher. Or <laughs> yeah, that's it's very true. It's, I need that help, <laughs> right? Um, and they're old enough. You know, I always tell my son, if you're old enough to use your iPad, you can figure out other things around yeah. the house. You know, whether it's the washing machine or helping yeah, around with the right. dishes and stuff like that. Right. I mean, you know, it reminds me as we're talking. I chatted with Dr. Colleen Foster. Mm-hmm. A while ago, and she's a very industrious, you uh-huh. know, we're all part of the same community, uh-huh. in my opinion. And, you know, she was talking about her experience through med school and how, you know, when you're a woman in a male dominated profession, there's a lot of other things of that, like kind of invisible. Her male colleagues had kids and mm-hmm. seemed to be okay. And she's like, I couldn't even imagine having a child during residency and all that because yeah. the stuff that, there are just some things that we have to do as yeah. moms, right? That right. we can't, right. you know, like growing the human. Right. Our partners can't do. <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah. And just how how much all that work and, you know, laying that foundation, I believe, sets you up to take the leap, mm-hmm. you know, to move out. Because look at all the amazing things that you do already. Yeah. You know, that you, you've got this. You yeah. know, that – and it may not seem like it. It may not be that clear in the moment, but I think there's that nudge that – 
okay, I'm scared. I'm going to take the leap because I know I can handle a million different things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, just navigating that, navigating pregnancy and working full time in that, you know, yeah. is, is uh, and I was traveling a lot as well and having to pump milk when I was on the road and, yes. and, and explain that to my coworkers. And they're like, well, you know, you have to take all this stuff and why do you need to do that? I'm like, I need to still feed my child. Right, right, <laughs> right. Like that, that is, that is all part of it. Yeah, and, and it's my choice to do it that way, but that should be okay. <laughs> yeah. There shouldn't, there should be no shame yeah. in that. And so I think in, you know, as we continue to normalize that or make it not just applicable, like we've done this, but, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. helping the next generation of women Mm -hmm. be like, all right, you can do this instead of like, you can't do it all. And, you know, I always say work-life balance is important, but really being stable Mm -hmm. and having that stability in your life in general is just as important because then you can focus on work when you're at work. You can, you know, turn your brain off when you're at home and creating that stability, I think is really the foundation of why self-care is so important. Yeah, yeah. So what do you do now that, you know, the boys are older <laughs> and you've got a million things? How do you take care of yourself? What does your self-care look like? So when you said the work-life balance, so I um, was part of a webinar recently and talked about that. I was like, I'm not sure why I'm doing this part. I'm not sure I have that work-life balance. But I, I, one of the speakers talked about it not being a balance, it being, or an achievement, it's a cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always changing mm-hmm. and some things have to give sometimes and then you have to just give yourself grace that that's, that's okay. And then what I said earlier about recognizing in my body the feeling I get when, when the doctor told me to not stop running. Mm-hmm. And so exercise is huge. And I know that if I don't, I don't feel as well sort of mentally. Right. You know? I don't feel I can give my best. And mm-hmm. Also on that point, when I got divorced and before that we went through some marriage counseling mm-hmm. and I was so worried about the children about through all this and you're just natural too. Right. And she said, they're going to be fine if you're fine oh. and you take care of yourself first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's not natural to think that way, right? No, that gives me goosebumps because yeah. I remember hearing the same thing as I, you know, that... The kids are resilient uh-huh. and they're going to be okay. Yeah. But you need to be okay too. Yeah. And I've wa- I watched it play out with my son. I mean, we had some pretty bumpy times mm-hmm. and, you know, I would be crying and he would be crying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then when I started to really kind of get to the root of things and making better, you know, mm-hmm. not better, but just making choices to put myself first. Mm-hmm he changed too. Yeah. And it became this amazing, like the better I do, the better he is. Yeah. I'm like, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. You see that. Like I see my kids are doing, you know, I, I, I think they are, I hope they are. They're still <laughs> doing okay. Right. And they're able to talk about it too and cry and whatever. And it's important, especially as boys to, to do that. Yeah. But then, yeah. So having something to just think about yourself. And for me, was going through divorce and before that I, I started pottery classes and I loved and that's my thing I just I could go there I could completely switch off mm-hmm. I could use the other side of my brain that's opposite to what I do for work yes and I could just create something that made me happy and I like to make functional things right that's what I did and and I notice it recently I, I haven't been able to do it because in the last well since 
maybe COVID because of the schedules for the kids mm-hmm. getting to the classes. And I miss it so much. Mm-hmm. Over COVID, actually, I rented a wheel in my put into my garage like you could do that for 10 days and so I, I kept awesome. it up a bit then uh-huh. um, but yeah I, and so I've been you know sort of finding other things to do until I can get back to that because I know I will yes and that was something that I definitely love doing to take my mind off things well that creativity I think is just so important to especially because my brain I typically function in the right side of my brain like I am that's Uh you know just really Uh I work really hard for the detail the engineer side of my brain it's really hard for Uh me and if I don't have that outlet whether it's writing or just music or something yeah I start to go crazy yeah and I'm cranky yeah yeah and I notice that and and like sleep like that's huge as well Mm -hmm. and I'll notice that I'm cranky and I I'll communicate that to the kids too and I'll either say look, this has been hard or I haven't slept well or something. So they understand and I'll apologize and say, look, you know, yeah. we have these times. And so it's, I think it's important they hear that from me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you're modeling an incredible gift to them. I don't know. But I, I didn't have that, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't think because, you know, my parents didn't have that capacity to be like, look, I'm really tired and yeah. stressed out. So I'm a little cranky right now, you yeah. know, and I just thought it was always my fault. And so to let your boys know that, hey, no, this is normal. Feelings are okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you can have all the feelings. Right. There's no shame in that. Yeah. And just normalize it. You're yeah. you're doing them a favor when they grow up. You're doing their, you know, partners favors when, you know, yeah, they get so. their relationship. Right. You know, that's it's changing that cycle. Yeah. And because yeah. I think I had that in my childhood. It was kind of up and down. There was, you know, my parents got divorced. And, mm-hmm. um, I remember a lot shouting and a lot of worrying about you know who's going to pack their bags next or you know so it was sort of Uh uncertainty and and not really talked about either even my son still worries about that Mm -hmm. you know I mean I don't think you know it's that lifelong conversation about divorce and his dad and I have been divorced for almost nine years Mm -hmm. um nine and a half years now but it's that constant conversation so you know when he sees conflict he automatically is like, I'm afraid. I'm yes. scared. I don't want to yeah. have to move. I don't want to, you know, right. all these things. And it breaks my heart yeah. to just reassure him. And then it also puts me in check, like, man, I got to right. remember they're always watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> watching and listening. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and feeling, right? Yeah. And just acknowledging that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So your self-care, you run, you create. How does your community outside of your engineering community and, uh-huh. you know, how has that morphed and changed <laughs> <laughs> over the years to kind of you know because yeah. it does you know it yeah ebbs and flows yeah yeah since I've been in Colorado which mm-hmm. has been most of the kids life or mm-hmm. just a little over half of Toby's life is moving there was or here and to the neighborhood was really great didn't really appreciate that community before buying the house, mm-hmm. what, what, we, what would happen sort of there. Right. And it just the fact that there were kids that were all growing up, that they were the same age, they could just be in the neighborhood. Ah, and cool. That's huge. And I couldn't have done that in San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. Probably could have done it in Minnesota, but might not have had as many friends there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it had this huge group of friends and that changed. And the community, my village was broken for a little while, mm-hmm. which was heartbreaking <laughs> yes but my friends that really my friends are still there there the whole neighborhood in itself is 
wonderful and I've stayed there and mm, they've I been very that. supportive mm -hmm. and the kids have kept their friends there and I think that's really important for their stability too mm -hmm. that's been huge for me my, my neighbors are amazing like they're they they say like they're their kids surrogate grandparents they're a little older and so with my family being so far away in England and right. Australia it's nice to have people there that that aren't their direct relatives that care for all of us. Yeah. And I know that's the case in the US too. You know, everybody's family spread everywhere. Mm -hmm. But to have that community there has been huge. Well, it's priceless. And, mm -hmm. you know, a good friend of mine, she often says that relationships, communities, you know, friendships, all of it, it's like a garden, you know, the metaphor. And sometimes you get weeds in your garden. Uh -huh. Sometimes yeah. you have to pull the weeds out. Yeah. Sometimes the That's weeds, that, it, it makes it pretty obvious which weeds have to go, uh -huh. <laughs> um, you know, and, and sometimes you don't know if it's a flower or a weed. Yeah. Until, yeah. huh. you know, you a little bit longer in, in the process. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can pull that out. Yeah. I don't need that. And the resiliency of the garden, that the flowers that are meant to be there stay there. And, you know, you make space for more. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, and that's just, again, another cycle of life mm -hmm. that it's not always easy. And it's still the flowers will come back. So yeah, your I true people yes, will stay there. in your life. And and it makes, <laughs> right. you know, space for more people right. to come into your village. It's the, you know, kind of yucky part of life, I guess, mm -hmm. or the, you know, but mm -hmm. it's also the makes part you stronger. Of life. It's, you know, <laughs> it, does. it does. It's the, the resilience. And, yeah. you know, it's I, I laugh, um, you know, and sometimes when I remember when being in a really dark place, we're like, well, you know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I'm like, I disagree mm -hmm. because I feel like I'm at max capacity right now and I can't handle anymore. Yeah. And then it does, you know, all storms run out of rain, right? Yeah. So it yeah. does get better eventually. I think talking about, yeah, when you say about stuff that you have to do for your body or exercise, it's just sort of maybe freeing up some of that mental space. Yeah. Isn't it just, you know, you talked about with your mom with the, financial stuff and I just think gosh yes if you haven't got any of that to worry about that's a huge weight off your mind oh yeah especially so many people do worry about yeah. that you know and I my financial journey was a hot mess until uh -huh. maybe six years ago uh -huh. that I didn't you know and when I could lay that down and put that away holy cow that yeah. was a game changer yeah and the same thing I think moving into this job has allowed me maybe with a little more money like I'm going to start finishing my basement in yes. next month and I'm so proud of doing yeah. that by myself right, right? there's and, and and that took the leap it would have taken a longer point to get mm -hmm. there before mm -hmm. so. well and again and it's showing that you can do this and that yeah. you know when you are in a position where you can make financial decisions or decisions to take care of yourself decisions you know independently I think it also frees up that space of finding a healthier relationship with other people yeah. because it's not a need. It's yeah, not a, right. I have to do this because of my need, my basic needs met. It's like, yeah. no, I'm going to do this because I like you and, yeah, you know, right. we have a great, you know, so I think that is another benefit to buckling down and just taking care of, again, self-care. It's not yeah. always the personal stuff. Like you said, I agree with that completely. And I talk about that, you know, a lot when I talk to men about, Mm -hmm. self-care. In fact, I think I'm going to change it from self-care to self-maintenance. Okay. Yeah. That capacity, giving them space to just be yeah. and slow down and figure out what's important. And because a lot of things are important, but if, you know, the analogy I use is like a cheese board. If you write down everything in your life that's important and it's a piece of cheese, 
we always pay attention to the cheese, but if you've got all that cheese on a paper plate, you know, that foundation is your self care and your mm-hmm. self maintenance. You've got to have, you've got to be able to support it or it's just going to fall off. Yeah, that's great too. <laughs> I like speaking metaphors sometimes. <laughs> Could be the coffee this morning. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, as you know, we kind of wrap up this conversation. I would love to know if you could go back to your 15 year old self and give a piece of advice. What would it be? What would you tell 15 year old? I know I said last time you should say, don't kiss that boy. I mean, that's still relevant, right? Just don't, right. don't, just don't go there. Right, right. Trust your, listen to your gut. Yeah. <laughs> it's far more important things. No, no. Having that network around you always talk to people just having people there that can support you and is huge just having your village Uh and a lot of the times it's who you know not what you know and then also having hobbies that really find your passion Uh because that can support you too like you may you know you could just go on through your life and doing your job and you know but to have something and, and maybe maybe you're passionate about your job which is great but having something that you are do feel passionate about is is important oh so. man i agree <laughs> because you don't want to become your you know your identity you want to be yourself and i think it's easy with our profession sometimes to get wrapped up in that as part of our identity and that's who i am but if you have a passion or a hobby, yeah. sticking with that and, you know, feeding your soul. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right, feeding your soul. And, and I was trying to find that for my boys too, right? Mm-hmm. Find what they're passionate about because once you find something like that, it helps you in the rest of your life. Oh, um, yes. Like I just, my older son, I think he, it was really hard to find what he was passionate about my younger one you could see dancing and singing and sport and like it was all these things that uh-huh. he you know but <laughs> for the old one it was tif- difficult and he went to climbing and he would not stop talking about it really and, and that's a skill that he could have through his life yeah so something that a skill that you, you could just carry on through mm-hmm. that, that can help you Wow, oh, that's awesome. You know, it's, I'm not a climber because that terrifies me. I don't <laughs> terrifies like heights. Terrifies me too. <laughs> yeah, not a fan. But it's that because it keeps you present. Yeah. It keeps you focused. It keeps you mindful. It, yeah. you know, works all these really core muscles, which my core muscles yeah. are not a fan of. <laughs> that much work. <laughs> I don't think I have any core muscles, <laughs> yeah. actually. I'm like, I, I, I did, like, hang on the side of a boulder once. and uh-huh. was like, oh, my gosh, my abs hurt for a month, I feel yeah. like. Um, so that's, it's a gift. And I just think extracurricular activities, you know, when you're a kid, it's fun and it's play. Yeah. And I think as adults, we lose that fun and that you know ability to just have fun and connect with that you know inner child which you know is still there being like well we want to have fun yeah (laughs) and the discipline that you learn from that and the you know whether it's you know singing with your younger Mm -hmm. son and that that's Mm -hmm. a skill that you learn to be comfortable in front of large groups of people you know so there's all these skills that translate and as long as it's fun I don't know about you but my little guy is in baseball right now and it's pseudo competitive so Uh we are baseball family like Mm -hmm. all the time and I told him as long as it's fun once you start not liking it or feel that you have to do it yeah it's not fun and you don't have to do it anymore yeah and I I think that's uh, 
the way I grew up and playing sports and stuff in England is, and, and maybe I just wasn't good enough to be in those competitive teams, <laughs> but I played a lot of different sports and it was, it was always fun. Yes. And I find now, you know, my younger son is in competitive soccer and the older one has stayed in rec soccer, which is exactly their character. Mm-hmm. And I just said, and he, and the younger one loves it. And I said, you do it for as long as you love it. If there's any point where three practices a week and a game, which is ridiculous, <laughs> is Amen. too much, yes. then you tell me because I want you to love it and so now I'm you know I'm thinking about putting him into rec he still loves it but it's just too much they should be doing other things like Mm -hmm. he was doing theater for a while and Mm. then he said I don't want to do theater because I you know want to concentrate on soccer I said you should be doing lots of different things (sighs) for your brain (laughs) I know I agree I try to do the same thing yeah I try to do the same thing I try to push gently nudge yes I know you love soccer but I think you should do like an art whether it's theater or dance or, yeah. you know, and then I think also the society kind of the pressures right. of that and, you know. But trusting your gut and knowing that sometimes yes. mom knows best <sighs> and he pushed back on doing theater and he loved it, you know. So right. just I think another thing is like trusting your gut. And that's what I tell my boys. I said, if something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't right. Mm-hmm. What um, a great gift. Another gift to give, uh-huh. you know, that. I never got that message yeah. of, you know, yeah, like yeah. when the alarm bells go off or the hairs on the back of your neck stand yes. up or <laughs> yeah, there's an amazing <laughs> book about it. It's called The Gift of Fear. Okay. And it's, I think it's Gavin Becker, but he talks about that. Like oh. we all have this innate sixth sense yeah. that our intuition is right. And we bury that intuition with yeah. society and pressure mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever, social media and right. fake reality that we don't have that that true compass of listening to ourselves. Yeah. Which, one other question. I just <laughs> popped into my head. How are you, what is your stance on social media with your boys and smartphones? <sighs> so my boys just got data. So because of the split household, they had our old phones anyway. It's easy, you know, it's easy. They can text me whenever. But it was only only had Wi-Fi. And they recently got data. There wasn't a conversation about that. And that wasn't my choice. So, okay. <laughs> so there was a conversation about that after. <laughs> so they don't have things like TikTok or, you know. Social st- media. Social media okay. yet. And I told them that I will look at their phones until they're at least 16 and so they can write whatever they want, but know that I'm mm-hmm. going to see it. Actually, I said this recently just to be kind. Like, if you can't say anything yes. nice, just don't say it. And right. There are some words that I've seen in some texts. I'm like, just, I, I don't see the point in that. Or there's, you know, big groups of texts. And I just said, just come off it. It's, you know, so it's really hard to keep on top of that stuff. And mm-hmm. I have, you know, all the controls in place, but they still... They'll, they'll still find things. <laughs> I know. They're, they're, yeah, we're getting ready to, you know, as my little guy gets ready yeah. to graduate from fifth grade, that was the deal. He gets okay. a phone and I'm terrified of it. Yeah. Mostly because it's that protection. I want to protect yeah. him. Yeah. I, I want to keep yes. him safe yeah. and don't want him to go down this rabbit hole of, yeah. you know, so we've been talking about it. But that's, I appreciate your, yeah. your answer to that because I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm not the only yeah there are lots of thoughts I have on that so we can talk about that perfect perfect awesome well Sarah thank you so much thank you so much and I'll put all your information in the show notes and if you know you want people to reach out to you if they have questions about STEM or anything like that that'll all be in there yeah all right sounds great thank you 
Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to this episode. Curious on what to do next? Go ahead and follow wherever you're listening to this podcast so you can get updates each week when new episodes are released. And head on over to thefireinsideher.com slash audio for a free audio to help you get started on your self-care journey. Until next time, remember, you are a badass and you are not alone.